0: Welcome back to Pneumatic Materials. This is Episode 7, Synecdoches for Autonomy, the first part of our interview with the artist Rachel Rawson. This is a solo ep. Our Co-host Derek is off in the Wild West investigating spiritual conundrums. He's currently residing in a cave in the high desert, vibrating six inches off the ground. But we've got a great interview for you today. The artist Rachel Rawson, our guest, is a multimedia artist based in New York, who works in the media of painting, sculpture, and virtual reality. Her work traces a phenomenology of digital experience in which the user feels themselves to be two places at once. We spoke about some of the thinking and thematic content that goes into her practice, as well as her upbringing in an evangelical Christian environment and the potential impact had on her work to date. Without further ado, let's get into it. Well, Rachel, thank you so much uh, for joining me on uh, Pneumatic Materials today. Um, How are you doing? How are things today?
1: Oh, I'm good. I'm rebuilding my PC and I'm working on a um, giant project that is, uh, taking my whole life force and I'm very happy about it. Um, but I'm a little bit nonverbal. I think it's like you get so much into a project that you stop speaking in some ways, but I'm good. I'm good.
0: Yeah. I know that feeling. Um, recently I had a couple days, um, at my job in the, uh, the stone sculpture studio I was working in and, um, much, uh, much less like high level brain activity involved in this, but I was like breaking rocks for like six hours straight. And it was, you know, I kind of got into a rhythm where it was like, it's pretty satisfying, but like not saying a word to anyone for, you know, hours. Um, yeah. Yeah. Entering a nonverbal state Uh, can be, um, I don't know. It can be like, it can be satisfying Uh, sometimes, but, uh,
1: Yeah. It's not good for podcasts, but it's a relief in every other area.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well yeah, maybe this can be, you know, like sure. start a trend of like nonverbal style podcasting where you just have to kind of like imagine the uh All right, we'll just the guests of uh, feel our way through it. Right? Through it right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that seems that seemed helpful. Yeah. Um and maybe for pneumatic materials thematic the if you can, you know, for asking people just to feel their way through it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very in line, uh, with the project so far. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I know we'll, we, we have, um, you know, we have, we talked briefly about like, um, what we're going to get into, uh, today, but, um, just for our listeners who might not be familiar uh, with you or your work, are you able to give like a brief summary, of like high level aspects of your work or, or how you understand uh, the work that you do as an artist?
1: Sure. I, yeah, I'm a visual artist. I work in what we consider new, newer medias or I'm known for working in newer medias, which usually means there's a certain amount of technology you know used. Um, I would use virtual reality and, holograms and there's a lot of video installation in my work. I consider myself a painter in the way that I approach these medias. Um so but I work with a variety like a large array of approaches and um and contexts. So from a large scale immersive installation to VR and AR to uh larger scale sculptures and uh Painting, um, there's a combine practice. There's a, there's like a lot of things that I pull into my work to sort of do world building. Uh, it touches on a lot of, I mean, the, what, the things that I'm riffing on in sort of a cultural way are, it's a lot of video game and, uh, uh references there. Uh, for anyone that's curious about my work, there's a short Art 21 documentary that goes through uh, a lot of my approaches and practices uh, right now I'm working on a web VR and physical installation for it's a co-commission for the Whitney museum here in New York city and uh, where I'm based and KW in Berlin. And uh, yeah, I think the reason I make things has more to do with uh phenomenological experience and aspect to the way that the sort of metabolic relationship between technology and ourselves, you could say that's like a lot of the things I'm working with and have worked through, uh, over the past five years of my practice. So, uh, yeah, I think.
0: No, that, that certainly, um, kicks us off on a good start. Um, that phenomenal, phenomenological aspect of your work, um, I think is really key. About exploring, um, I don't know the the kinds of new experience that open up to us um, by way of these technology. Um, I'm always kind mm-hmm. of intrigued about the extent to which it is, you know, really changed um, by these by these new media. Um, hmm. But of course, there is still a dialogue between more traditional media. Um, you, you still work in, in translating some of these experiences, uh, of the virtual into, into the physical space in, in sculpture, um, and in painting. Um, but do you feel that moving between, um, something like a virtual reality, immersive experience, uh, or trying to translate something of that, um, into, uh, a more traditional medium like painting or sculpture allows for a, a kind of clarification, um, or, or maybe what is the, the result of that dialogue or movement between newer media, new media and and traditional media?
1: Right. What's the, what is the, the lens or the digestive approach if we're going to talk about some, some sort of metabolic process between, uh, these different frameworks. I find that that, this is an old answer that, um, I get, you know, I I get this question asked a lot, obviously. I think it's almost like, I'm going to try and rephrase it in a better way, but it, the, the sort of stupid immediate gut answer for me is that I just, that is the way that I experience reality is it's the sort of distributed like over right. I'm like working in peripherals that what we all are working in, which are like our devices, you know, more and more obviously. So that's like one lens for my emotional reality, uh, coming out into that, uh, you know, from the perspective of just what it is to be a body moving through space, uh, socially. And so that's, you know, one aspect of the emotional reality. So there's something about the, that natively approaching without, it just doesn't feel like any sort of, I don't need to force that because it's natively how I experience reality. And I think how most of us experience reality is we're kind of dipping in and out of this sort of distributed uh, processes across these, this mesh of, um, yeah, sometimes it's redundant emotional realities or, and sometimes it's things that feel plastic and tired or, um, yeah. So I think that that, you know, I grew up, on i grew up really tethered to technology and understanding hardware from a really young age and so i think that that's you know I, that's a, it always been there for me it's the way that i've been able to process and sort of cope with reality is a very important aspect to the way that i developed so yeah i think that that's that's my like sort of gut level answer but you know and then i think. There we need, I feel like it's important to, to try to, to mine that space, you know, the same way that, and I think of it sometimes like the, what I'm doing is collecting the condensation off of the, um, the sort of, you know, from, from the state changes, right. From the when, when water is evaporated. So I'm looking at something like that that's very immaterial and strange and hard to put into words because we have so, we don't have a space in language for the way that we understand how this process really works. Um, or almost like a, the way that like coral filters out, um, uh, you know, like un, un, unneeded things in the, in the ocean or something like that is sort of sort of, sort of more, like filtering process, uh, for the way that I think about why I make what I make. Um, but yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah I think
1: no, or, oh no, go, oh, go ahead.
0: Please go ahead. No, no, no.
1: Oh no. I just think it's important because we lack language, you know, and that's like what the purpose, you know, that's one of the reasons our art exists and why art is so important is lacking language, uh, visual language for for things that are outside of uh, um, things that can be said in, you know, like what we think like in actual language is that, if that makes sense, like what we're we're looking for is language outside of language.
0: No, it it makes, it makes perfect sense. Um, We are like experiencing or we're thrust into, or we have already been thrust into this world that we totally lack the language um, to be able to to contextualize um, in any kind mm-hmm. of like sensible way. Um, and so, yeah, I think that image of like the coral filtering um, and its structure as this kind of like visible or tangible residue of this filtering process is a is a very like um, striking metaphor as a way to to contextualize your own work. if I have the uh, the kind of metaphor. Um, you were positing there. Yep,
1: for sure. Yep, yep, for sure. Yeah, I think that's. Uh, yeah, because I think art is one of the. You know, it's it does a lot of things, but it's um, you know, it offers a respite from a lot of uh, you know, things that. Yeah, even tiring. About.
0: No, even in its, in distilling aspects of contemporary life that are um difficult to, to deal with. Um you can kind of encounter it at a remove um that keeps it from overwhelming or you know kind of terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um because mm-hmm. I, I think like so frequently, yeah, when I'm you know totally like either at work switching between desktop pc you know like have like 50 tabs mm-hmm. open of different like emails i'm writing or i'm up at you know 2am like mindlessly scrolling or looking for i don't even know like what i'm looking for um scrolling through instagram mm-hmm. um you know late at night more dopamine but it is this kind of there is this like <laughs> there's i don't know there's this tension between this kind of like thrill of of almost like a, a feeling of speed and acceleration um, but also yeah. just like total static or like you know spinning your wheels um, that is like it produces yeah. this kind of like low-level or like background anxiety um, that yeah. is like yep. very hard to it's like the you know the the star that kind of recedes from view when you try to look at it directly You have to kind of like look (laughs) Mm -hmm. at it with a sidelong glance in order to like take it in or try to deal with it in a way, you know, that is it is beyond like traditional language sets. Um, It's something that Mm -hmm. art, I think, is uniquely suited for.
1: Yeah, you're feeling you're in the wake. You're in the wake of dopamine, you know, it's like, well, that's what that feeling is, I think, is it's like a neurochemical effect. Yeah. Of just trying to keep, you know, just finding something, and the thing that you're looking for is just more dopamine. Yeah. Um. You know. But it's uh. Yeah. It's my life. No, I'm sure and that, that it, kind of
0: like anxiety terror loop is on some, mm-hmm. you know, meta uh, deck. As, like, we found that, uh, cycling the, um, you know, these five brain chemicals in our users is, uh, has mm-hmm. the most, uh, click through results on our, uh, served mm-hmm. advertisements. Yeah. Um, and how
1: do we, yeah, yeah. How do we harness that without, like, you know, without them actually wanting to kill themselves? Yeah,
0: exactly. It's like
1: just the nice, you know, just that nice balance.
0: Now, of course, there's going to be an acceptable rate of, uh, of user suicides. That's, uh, you know, we have to factor that in. But <laughs> as long as it doesn't uh, get anything, high, you know, north of 0.5%, uh, uh, I think we're uh, we're You're right. all good.
1: <laughs> <You're> right. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch with the realness. Yeah. The, the, the aberrations. It's true.
0: But uh, you mentioned that you you've been engaged with with hardware and an understanding of, of computer tech uh, from a very young age um, and it's been kind of key to uh, how you process the world um, throughout your life um, but something I was I was hoping to get into um, and I know you have limited time today so I, I, I want to kind of dive into some extent yeah, but you did have uh, a religious, Christian, uh, evangelical upbringing. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm wondering, you know, not to just kind of throw those two things together. Um, but maybe, uh, to keep it more general at first, um, how did your, uh, religious upbringing impact your, your worldview? Was it through, a kind of rejection of that initial um, mm-hmm. maybe indoctrination is too strong of a word. Uh, maybe not. Yes. Um, or did it give you, um, m- you know, kind of long, were there any longer lasting conceptions of the world or, or morality maybe mm-hmm. um, that did survive intact from that upbringing?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, grew up with, I have a, my spiritual background or, you know, whatever, you know, religious background, the story that I grew up with is, 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 eclectic. I mean, we are Jewish, but there we were, we grew up my, um, three brothers and my sister and I grew up in an evangelical Christian. So really the cultural South, we grew up, I grew up in Florida and it's, uh, this was in a very, in a pretty extreme radical Christian evangelical environment. Um, and I think that, and my parents, my father was, a is sort of a Buddhist. My mother sort of played with a lot of like new age is like a blend of a bunch of different things. And I think that because, and they threw us into this sort of environment, I think it was just the way that, you know, it, it, it shook out. Um, but it was a very, very small, um, uh, really, really conservative, um, you know, that was just the, the, the town I grew up in. Um, and there was no, there was no such thing as social liberal ideas. I mean, it was just very, it was, it was really, um, very rigid. Um, there was like mandatory creationism class and there was no evolution. And, um, and I was the only socially liberal person that I knew. I was the only person that, um, didn't believe in, uh that wasn't pro life or any, you know, any of those things that were really dominant culturally at the time, uh, in the George Bush era, you know, and that's, that's really, we're still seeing all, I mean, that's huge. It's still so present. It's incredible to me. And, um, I had a blend. I raged against it as much as I could. Um, I didn't, I had my own blend of sort of a Gnostic, um, uh, um, but it feels very similar to what I still believe more or less. Like there, I wasn't, um, completely indoctrinated. I didn't feel, uh, the pressure of that. And it was very, you know, it was upsetting and sad. But I when I do look back on where I am today, culturally, I mean, it's, it's as an adult, just thinking about what I was subjected to and went through. I mean, it is, it's astounding. And the internet, um, the internet art and my own sort of ability to find culture outside of this really strange environment, um, saved my life, I think. Um, you know, and I'm really grateful for that because I could find, uh, I don't know, I could get into Donnie Darko or something, you know, it's like, there was, there was hope outside of this, um, really, really, dogmatic is pretty toxic environment. So, and we were sort of demonized and I was called a baby killer, you know, for all these sort of beliefs, but I don't really remember being, I mean, I'm sure I could look back on my journals and when I look back now, I, it was, it was definitely, definitely hard. And I knew it was hard. I didn't, I don't think I, I didn't understand how exactly how hard it was, but those systems, you know, being able to become literate in computer programming to be kind of figure out how to have some, uh, simulacrum of control over my own life, which just meant being able to use technology and, you know, build my own hardware and like all these things. So I had enough hobbies to kind of, to keep me sane and to find friends and, you know, escapism is necessary to a certain degree if you are in hell. And that was, you know, and I was angsty about that for sure. Um, and it was a really, it was like a violent, like it was violent at home. It was kind of just a violent, like Florida was just like, when I look back on my life in Florida, I mean, it's just like such a violent, um, reality. it's so obviously so different than my adult life. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. I mean, so, and we had creationism and then there was also, um, a rapture. So we were really, uh, a rapture classes. So you would have these, um, I don't know how we ended up rapture in the school, classes but classes
0: is just that's insane. Yeah, rap,
1: rapture, I, I don't know, <laughs> eschatology classes. And I remember, I remember wanting there to be like, I, what I wanted so badly was for them to be correct. And I couldn't, it's that thing where you're like, it would just make the life, life so much more simple if I could just believe in this. And, um, and there are lots of things I, I folded into my own life that really did help me um, that, you know, some uh, that you would consider or you would sort of. Um, you would categorize that yeah, as Gnostic Christianity or something like that. I mean, not that Jesus is the literal sa- you know savior of your, you know, I mean, that's not obviously like my worldview today. And there was nothing like that that I really felt um, it was uh, more like the moral approach of like what uh, creates sort of contentment or being able to center yourself. Like I think there's a, a better way to talk about it is just the locus of control. And sometimes uh, what is just healthy and accurate self appraisal is um, sometimes confused with the need for spirituality, you know, mm-hmm. but that's what you would have ca- like, that's what if when I look back, that's like what the, the category that it would, fall into but yeah eschatology classes so they believed incredible just incredible when i think about this so i had a teacher the the rapture so i had the creationist teacher who was also the art teacher and you weren't allowed to uh there's all this like all these rules about um what you you could and couldn't sort of engage in (laughs) like in a uh in an in your work, you know, like in art or in creationism. And, and then with the rapture classes, those were also fascinating because, um, the teacher believed that, that we would see the rapture, like, like the, uh, what's it called? Left behind series. Oh yeah. Like that was mandatory as a part of like the reading, you know, in this, and it was, um, I don't know how I made it out of there. When I think about all this, yeah, again, thank God for art and, yeah, uh, the internet. But yeah, this teacher believed that he would see the rapture uh, because Israel was in his lifetime. Israel had been uh, that was in the prophecy somehow that Israel had become a country, and there was some there was some sort of like recent development. I can't remember right now what it was, but um,
0: yeah, there yeah, are yeah. like tours of evangelicals that go to um, to Israel and to specifically Megiddo, um, where, you know, we get our word Armageddon, where, like, the final battle between right. good and evil will take place. And they're, you know, they're looking yeah. out from some, like, overlook hilltop. They're like, yep, right down there. That's where it's all gonna go down. Um, oh my
1: God, I love that the book. literalism
0: of the belief is, like, it must be so comforting um, for the people who yes. can really convince themselves um, to believe in it. Um... Because, I mean, it, in some ways, I think it absolves um, all personal responsibility. Yes. Um, there are so many aspects of particularly, like, evangelical Protestant Protestantism that are so, yeah. like, bound up with the history of this country and its formation that are just
1: mm-hmm.
0: really uh, disgusting when you look at their—I mean, obviously, you know, of course. But um, they're— emphasis on i don't know on on all of this predestination um and the callousness oh, yeah. with which it can reject all you know suffering or homelessness or you know as god's will you know how oh, yeah. would I mean, uh yourself. you know how how for could yourself. anything be otherwise uh there are these weird yeah, little I mean, theological tricks where practice. yeah
1: Yep. Then that's, I mean, that's exactly what you said, where it's, uh, you really can absolve yourself of any sort of in, like investment in reality. If you believe that this is it, if you believe that this is the sort of in between, you know, the sort of waiting room between heaven and hell. And, uh, if this world is supposed to end, um, then you, well, of course, you know, why just let's, if it's meant to be used and let's well, like, that's why climate change isn't a threat, you know, God's coming, coming soon. But you see that type of thinking across, um, and it is amazing, even, you know, in political, and in, on the right and the left, you see similar, it might not be Christianity, but you see this kind of, you know, burn it to the ground, uh, um, you know, sort of a, approach that also feels st- steeped in the same kind of sentiment, even though the angle is from, it's not because God ordained it, it's just the only way to, to rebuild, um, or something. But, uh, yeah, cause that's the, the idea, you know, it's like, what, who is it? Augustine with millennialism, um, uh, that the belief that the, you know, in the in the sort of, um, the myth, the mythology of eschatology and the mythology of the end times, uh, to St. to St. John, uh, the Augustine said that the, you know, it's like, it was this focus on the a thousand year reign, and then there's, like, I love my favorite eschatology story, like, because I just feel like everyone has always thought that the world was about to end, Um, like, in this sort of repeating pattern, like, throughout humanity. And, like, we there's always this narcissism of the present Exactly, you forget to read.
0: It's so Even narcissistic now, like, and selfish. It's like, of course, <laughs> it's think so, it's like- I'm going to be the one who gets to see it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I love it. I think it's really sort of, I mean, it's it's totally toxic, but it's also sort of sweet because it's this... Thing you've just seen over and over and over again my favorite story is the uh what's his name I think it was like Pope Sylvester
0: oh he was one of those millennial like remember. around like thousand
1: yes, yes exactly the one the people that were standing on their roofs I think like the, the around it was like January 1st yeah 1000, 1000 AD. Like, yeah okay, now yes and that, that was the millennial uh like that that though that whole area is really quite incredible and then it gets um, you know, there's like various degrees of, of toxic, but yeah, the, the, I think we forget to kind of couch that even when we, you know, think, reflect on, um, yeah, just what, cause it just feels so scary. And so to have some, the idea of an ending or a break, I think that's like a very, it's a childlike sort of response that I fully, you know, I fully, uh, understand, you know, is that, a sort of metaphor of an ending or metaphor of death is a way of like, you know, trying to understand like the, the sort of larger purpose and, um, you know, it gets woven into everything. But yeah, what you, I mean, what we we're saying about there being a narcissism of the present, it's like quite delightful.
0: Yeah. That utopianism, I mean, it crops up on the political left as well. Um, yeah. and I, I think one of the kind of, you know, you, you can kind of synthesize some of the the teachings or notice similarities um, in, um, you know, in the teachings of Christ or the teachings of Marx, where it's this it's this like seeming mm. paradox where, you know, the kingdom of heaven is here um, or it's yep. it's already within us. But we still have to make it ourselves. You know, there is no yep. other Nothing. There's no deus ex machina that comes and and Mm -hmm. raptures or brings about the revolution. It is this, like, Mm -mm. you know, dialectic process between... Of course, there are extenuating environmental circumstances, you know. um, The extreme increase in climate refugees over the next, you know... uh, Climate change is maybe something of a deus ex machina that will force some kind of change. I mean, but of course, you know, who knows what kind of change that will be for good or for, for much, much worse. Um, but that, um, tension between, um, individual or or collective agency, um, and the, the outstanding circumstances, you know, uh, um, exterior or external circumstances, um, is something that, um, yeah, various you know, millenarian Christian movements um, left politics, I think, still uh, struggle to grapple with. I mean, it's one of the most kind of challenging things to deal with that, you know, how can it's things be?
1: Nature.
0: Yeah. Yeah. How can life yeah, exactly. be, yeah, closed and, and whole? There is a kind of wholeness to life, but, you know, the world we see around us is still so filled with, um, you know, with loose ends and misery and, um, Mm -hmm. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That closed in whole is a beautiful way to, to, to summarize that. That is exactly it. Right. So it's like you, and it's a sort of scale shift thing that we're also talking about where it's like the reality is that like no one's coming to save you. And I wish like there was, and I wish there was a parent, you know, But like the Occam's razor truth of it all is that like, it's, it's chaotic and has been, and that's the sort of like beautiful contradiction of, of, as we like tumble through the experience of reality together. And, you know, and that's like the, when you look at like lots of, I mean, there's so many, the world has ended so many times, you know, for so many people. I mean, it's like, I was just reading, um, I don't know what reminded me of it, but I was reading, I was thinking about, um, I, you know, it's like in every time, like in my own life when things just feel like so bleak and like scary and awful and it's like, like the world's going down and it, and it, it's, you know, and it has gotten, you know, the last like four years. I mean, it really, you know, it has ramped up. It's gotten that, it's got that flavor, you know, just like, oh my God. But I was thinking about, um, that story of Benjamin, uh, Walter Benjamin and I think it's, uh, Koestler. I'm sure you you know, I'm talking about where, uh, they were in, you know, World War II, just thinking about like what the, what the, what that, the wor- way that the world was ending for them, you know, and that the, the way the world was ending for them to such a degree on an individual level that they would decide to take arsenic, you know, as like, as they were fleeing from the Nazis, you know, and that's incredible. That's like, that's the end of Walter Benjamin's life. He's 35 or something. You know, Kosler gets away and gets to go, go to America, you know, with like Hannah Arendt eventually, and it's like all these people, but it's like thinking about the, uh, to have some humility, but also in a sort of active way instead of this kind of passive, oh, we're fucked anyway, you know, and that's like what, you know, what you're talking about, these like dialectic or the whole versus the closed. I mean, I, I that's how to, how to keep the light alive, how to maintain hope when things just feel so washed and bleak. you know and that's that's difficult. Um, you know that's really, really difficult.
0: Yeah, every, I mean yeah, the, the World War II, um, the the atomic bomb being dropped, I mean that is the end of the right. world. you know that is Europe oh at the kind of final culmination of the European nation state and you know the competition of state capitalism can like almost only end in near total annihilation of you know of the planet had things gone um, mm-hmm. just a little differently. Um, but of course you know the world yeah. ends but then you know a new world begins or, or the world keeps going. Um, every right. you know new development um, and new destruction or has the potential to create the seeds of what comes next. You know, is it that life? Yeah. Um, a refugee crisis or um, Amazon becoming the only employer um, in America is what generates uh, the desire? You know, for for increased uh, labor power or unionization. Um, and so, I mean, this is something I, I I try to 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 stay positive at least. You know, when I'm on the phone with my mom or something, it's like well, yes, things are, things are getting worse, but I don't know. It feels like a cliche to say, you know, they have to get worse before they can get better. Um, but that's where that fundamental openness of our position, you know, as, as people within history, I mean, it's, it is terrifying trying to have a kind of, well,
1: well, you know, and it's like, I liked when COVID hit, I remember talking, about, I went to call my grandma who's 93 and lived through war and depression, you know, the great depression and, um, polio and, uh, you know, just kind of seeing what I wanted a perspective from someone that, you know, I've lived through all these things and that's, I don't believe that it needs to get worse before it gets better, but I do think that there is sort of this, um, I, you know, and I say this often, but the, the reality that when you look at, when you do a survey of human nature over time, and this does change, but for the most part, you know, it's, we do like to figure out how hot the stove is before we remove our hand. And, uh, you, you do see that over and over again. And, um, and yeah, exactly. And it's exactly what you're saying. Where it's like, okay, the world ended then; it couldn't get worse, you know. Um, especially depending on who you are, you know. But talking to my grandma, she was very. Uh, she was like, "Well, we've. I didn't think I would see this. Talking about COVID and seeing the world shut down. And uh, she's. She said something. She's very. Uh, how would her approach is really similar to mine? I think she's she's a secretly a, a a stoic. Like she's very and the way that she, her approach to life is really, it reminds me of diagenesis sometimes. Like she doesn't live in a barrel, but she has like this kind of, uh, she's very flexible. She's, you know how like the Stoics have like this kind of limber, um, acceptance of, of reality. Uh, and she's, she gave me that as like, cause I was, I was, I was, you know, I was in like, like trying to figure out how to find where gravity was and, um, you know, and just and and everything, and but she, she's she. How did she say it? She basically just told me to get over it. <laughs> she's like, just like get over it. Yeah. In in like a in a kind way.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's um, we have you know this time given to us. Um, but I I think one of the the trickier parts of of the spiritual impulse. Is trying to have a worldview that is, you know, any kind of worldview has, even though like we, we know it'll have limitations, you have to have a kind of closed conception or, or maybe not a closed conception, but you have to have a kind of baseline hmm. narrative understanding or, or way of making sense um, that yet still leaves open possibility so maybe one yes, of the yes. you know the drives of of religion or the spiritual impulse is how do you get in touch with this kind of sense of things being okay or understanding right. the whole uh or relating yourself as a as a part to the whole um without right. falling into blind faith dogmatism or some kind of utopian mm-hmm. belief um, whether that's, you know, mm-hmm. on a strictly like spiritual religious end or a political end. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not well, sure exactly how well you already yeah. said
1: it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you already said it. It's, uh, well, first of all, what I want to well, I'll just say it quickly and I'll let you finish. But um, the gratitude is a muscle. Um, that's what fired my brain when you said that. And you already said that you said the dialectic, you know, and we, what we're, you know, unfortunately it's that it is the uncomfortable truth of that is that it's moving from one to another. And that's how you sort of be, make progress on an individual level. Uh, you know, and you, and it's sort of, oh, oh my God, I hate, I wonder if it's, I don't, I actually don't know if this is problematic to bring up, but it reminds me of Nietzsche's, um, uh, was it break of dawn where he's talking about the, his own diet. I mean, whatever, he loses his mind in the end. So that's like, but like the, the way that he's trying to maintain that and maybe, maybe he didn't take his own advice. Um, I think Philip K. Dick also likes famously seen,
0: uh, well, uh, well the... grounded individual, Philip K. Dick as well.
1: Yeah. Both these people <laughs> I love bringing into the conversation. Uh, <laughs> it's like what not to do. Well, for Philip K. Dick, it was to stop taking amphetamines, mm, but yeah. for Nietzsche, it was maybe like chill out. chill out
0: and get treated for, and for syphilis. But you know, yeah, too it was late. also yeah, yeah, get
1: treated for syphilis is the real big thing. So I think for both these guys, maybe it would have worked out if there wasn't like something eating their brain. But for Nietzsche, you know that the break of dawn, where he's talking about like how to maintain a creative center again. Like I wanted to use the word like locus of control because I think that's a very important thing that we don't talk about often. And we, yeah, I mean, I want to let you finish what you were about to say, but I'm just thinking about sort of spiritual diet or, um, you know, like you can use spiritual, you could use intellectual, you can say like, don't watch the news, like whatever it is, I don't know. But that, that does as a discipline, that's one of the things for how I uh, keep my center.
0: No, I think locus of control is a really key phrase. And I, I think in trying to stumbling around, you know, master narrative or, or worldview, mm. um, I, I think locus of control sums that up neatly because it's not, you know, there is a kind of any way of relating to cosmos, not necessarily understood as um, space or whatever, but just creation um, is is necessary for just like going about daily life. Um, but yeah, that can be yep. that can be intellectual um, as well. Um, I think particularly important to keep in mind as we um, engage with all of the, you know, the increasing entrance of um, these technologies and maybe metaversal layers before too long, um, injecting mm. themselves into our lives. And um, so mm. your work seems like a very great example of trying to reckon, um, with what these, um, you know, realms or areas of experience, um, mean to us, what we can, mm-hmm. um, through ph- phenomenal, phenomenological <laughs> examination, um, what we can get out of them, um, earlier, uh, yes. and I, I know you have to go, so maybe I'll, I'll make this my kind of last point here. Um, but you know, maybe for for some of us um, who've been, I don't know, I've only you know, I'm trying to think how long I've been at the intersection of art and technology, uh, maybe not not as long as yourself. Um, but this idea of the internet as inherently being, you know, free um, and a, a wonderful tool of of creative expression, maybe seems a little, uh, naive and, and the dreamings of, you know, old members of the grateful dead, you know, in the nineties writing in wired magazine or or something like that remnants of this Californian ideology. Um, but as your own example shows, clearly there is an extent to which that is the case. I mean, can be a life saving, uh, technology or, or tool or means of expression, um, for many people um whose physical existence may be uh you know in Florida um but <laughs> I don't know if that kind of if I if I if I'm able to kind of tie that up neatly um but just to say that your work yeah it seems like a, a very like a, a appropriate or adequate <laughs> adequate is not um but uh yeah efficient um excellent uh no (laughs) means of negotiating these uh these problems
1: (laughs) that's good yeah that's good i think what you can use the words spiritual you can use uh whatever you know you kind of want to slot in there i think that what we're both talking about is um something that is a deeper and maybe not such a profound point, but where, like, where are, where are our synecdoches for autonomy? And I think engaging in, you know, I like, yes, the, what the internet used to be, and maybe it was easier for me to access that as like a, um, and luckily I had some, I think through art also married with that, because I wasn't looking for quote unquote God or something outside of the locus of my control. There was like a, you know, I was, there was just this like sort of perfect recipe for how to figure out what it was to make art, which is really, uh, if you're doing it in a way that's helpful, uh, there's so many ways to make art, right. But if you're doing it in a way that's, that's actually helpful, it's engaging with, uh, yeah, your locus of control, you know, you're trying to find where your autonomy is. And then you're trying to find the boundaries of yourself. And um, if that's the lens and then you bring that to technology, it's like then technology is a very helpful tool. Um, But it's built to work against that. Um, I mean, all of this is built to work against that because you sell more stuff that way. So, uh, yeah, it's like, it's really, again, it's like not maybe the most profound point, but there's something there that, has kept me kept me alive and sane and so I'm r- grateful for it you know I feel very faithful to it but yeah
0: yeah synectics for autonomy is like another really gorgeous phrase I think I might have the the episode title um right there
1: Synectics for autonomy that is <laughs> it's a we can, we can uh, make a ballet you know, <laughs> Yeah. like a Bauhaus ballet for it yeah
0: <laughs> um well yeah, Rachel good. I don't want to keep you um any longer I know, you know, Derek wasn't able to join us. Um, You know, we can message. I don't know if, you know, maybe we could uh, meet. Let's do a round two if we.
1: Yeah, let's try to do that later. This was really fun. And I think this stuff is important and a lot of people don't. we I don't know. I just don't have a lot of conversations like this and it's hard to find them. And I think, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's really important stuff. So thanks for what you do.
0: Yeah. No, I, I really appreciate your time, Rachel. Uh thanks so much.
1: Okay, we'll talk soon. Yeah. Okay, thanks.
0: Yeah, yeah. Bye. Bye. For listening to pneumatic materials.